Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of season three of Uncap It. It's your host, Kennedy and Haley, and today we are going to be talking about public health and the government's role in public health. So in the last few years, we just lived through a prime example of how the government needs to step in and have a hands-on approach with public health. Correct. So some of you guys might remember this fun little thing that we lived through called the COVID-19 pandemic. I know. It was three years ago. Yes. Just had its anniversary. It did. But it's still very prevalent exactly. to what's happening today. Yeah. And I think that it was definitely a great example of how the government can step in and play a role in public health. Right. So we saw many different regulations and guidelines that were put into place pretty early on with the COVID-19 pandemic. So the first one was the quarantine guidelines. And then we moved more into mask mandates. And further down the line, once we had a vaccine, we had government regulations on vaccine distribution and who could receive it and when they could receive it. Right. However, public health crises like COVID-19 and the pandemic aren't the only time that the government has a stake in healthcare and plays a role in helping to implement different healthcare-related processes. For example, we are currently dealing with something in Congress where there has been a debate over prescription drugs regarding the price and availability of them. So one really big factor in this debate is that a lot of this goes ignored because of the practices of pharmacy benefit managers. And that's abbreviated as PBMs. And Haley and I will use that throughout the rest of the episode, but it's just important that you guys remember that PBMs are short for pharmacy benefit managers. Right. So we are saying this term as if we all just use it regularly. However, I can assure you that it is completely normal that you don't because Kennedy and I, when we first started researching this topic, had never heard of PBMs. However, chances are once we explain to you guys what they are and their role, most, if not all of you, have dealt with them at one time or another. Right. It's really interesting that we don't really know what they are. and We don't hear about them often, but they actually play a very large part in our lives. Correct. So essentially, PBMs are large corporations that are hired to manage drug programs for beneficiaries. Right. So they act as the middlemen in the marketplace and they negotiate with these drug manufacturers and pharmacies with the objective to drive down the cost of prescription drugs. However, even though they're doing all this negotiating to drive down the costs, we can all see recently costs are still on the rise. Right. So as Haley was saying, in the past decade, drug prices have risen three times faster than inflation and patient out-of-pocket costs have risen 53%. So even though there's all these negotiation happening, we are still not seeing any lower drug prices. Right. So because of this, tensions are obviously rising and the House Oversight Committee has asked a lot of these major PBMs to produce documentation on what they do, how they operate, and kind of their role in these prescription drug-related issues to see why this price is skyrocketing and why it's doing so, so much faster than inflation in the United States. Right. So as Haley and I said, you probably have felt the effects of PBMs. So it's important to ask ourselves, how do PBMs really affect the consumer? So aside from the rise in prices of prescription drugs like we've been talking about, PBMs also control patient access to some of these drugs. Right. And that's because because of PBMs, you have to go through this like authorization process, 
which is required in order for drug approval, which for me, I know I've had personal experience with this. It kind of looks like jumping through a lot of hoops. So if you have tried to get a prescription drug and it feels like it takes forever and you have to go through all these steps to do so, chances are it's because of PBMs. So for my Crohn's medication several years ago, I had to basically prove that like three different medications didn't work before I got approved for the medication that we knew I needed all along. However, PBMs want you to go through the steps of testing out cheaper medication first before they will approve you for the drug that you actually need. Right. And I know tons of people who have had similar experiences going through lots of different hoops, trying lots of different medications just to try to get approval. Also, PBMs are not just doing this prior authorization process. They also decide which prescription drugs can be provided through your insurance company. Right. And unfortunately, I've had some experience with this one as well. (laughs) So we recently are switching my medication and it was approved. However, fun fact, our insurance company decided to switch PBMs, which we didn't realize was the problem at the time. And then my medication became unapproved because the PBM decided that that medication was no longer going to be covered under my insurance. So even though our insurance didn't change, since the distributor essentially that we were getting it from changed, it switched our coverage. Right. So as you can see through some of Haley's stories, and I'm sure a lot of you have personal stories that are just like this, PBM negotiations often don't really benefit the consumer because they profit off of lowered prices instead of lowering it for the consumer. Right. So even though they are negotiating, like they are very successful in this negotiation because they get the drugs in such like mass quantities to then distribute. So that it's not that they aren't successfully negotiating. It's that they are then reaping the benefits because they keep all of that difference. And when the cost of prescription drugs become very high, this can be a problem for a lot of people who are dependent on their prescription medicines. Yeah. And another way that PBMs are kind of influencing the price is indirectly because since manufacturers are lowering their prices for PBMs, they have to raise the consumer price in order to kind of make up for that deficit. So you might be asking yourself, how is this affecting you if you're not on prescription medication or if you're still on your parents' insurance? This might not seem like a problem you have to deal with, but before we know it, as members of Gen Z, we are going to have our own healthcare insurance and will no longer be on our parents' insurance, which will be a terrible time, but (laughs) it happens to all of us, so we have to be aware of some of these issues that will occur. Right. And it's also something that we need to be aware of before we go into the job market. Because I know personally, for me, the quality of insurance that is being offered by a workplace is going to play a role at least somewhat in the job that I choose. Absolutely. So you want to be aware of this issue so that you can know kind of what you're getting yourself into in terms of health care coverage and insurance before you get a job, which if you listen to our last episode you know that that's definitely something Gen Z is on the approach of. Right. And finally, if this stuff is not resolved and some of these issues we're having with PBMs is not fixed, we can only expect for prescription drug prices to increase in the future and become even more inaccessible to us. Exactly. 
Well, since we've talked a lot about PBMs today and we kind of mentioned that Haley and I weren't super familiar with them, we definitely wanted to bring in a guest who was a little more knowledgeable about the subject. So today we have with us David Bob. He is a pharmacist, attorney, and retired United States Air Force Colonel with experience in both the civilian and federal healthcare management sectors. His widely varied career has placed him in such practice settings as independent pharmacies, large retail chain pharmacies, United States Air Force pharmacies, industries, and positions within the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Defense. In addition, he provides sound legal aid to federal pharmacists in respect to changing Food and Drug Administration policies, Drug Enforcement Administration laws, opioid or controlled substance compliance, and federal and state legislative initiatives. He has also been an integral member of several boards of directors, including the American Society for Pharmacy Law, Department of Defense Pharmacy Advisory Board, and the San Antonio Uniformed Service Health Education Consortium. So we'd want to thank you so much for joining us. You're definitely our person to talk a little bit more about pharmaceuticals and how politics plays a part in health law. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here today. (laughs) All right. So we're just going to jump right into our questions. As Kennedy mentioned, we kind of briefed the listeners on this topic a little bit. and We dove into the background of the current issue in Congress with addressing PBMs. Can you just break down how we got to this point of a drastic increase in prescription drug prices and everything going on in Congress? So prescription drug prices, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody, have been increasing rather dramatically over the past decade in particular. And as with most problems, there are always various players involved and aspects that you can look at as far as the problem goes. So right now, PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers, seem to be the one group that is kind of in the uh, crosshairs right now when it comes to why prescription drug prices are so high. But I think people have to remember, too, that it's not the only issue with rising drug prices. A lot of it has to do with just new products coming onto the market. And a lot of these new drugs are very complex. And just the whole process to get a drug to the market today very involved a lot of steps. So you can have a drug company that spends millions and millions of dollars doing research on a particular drug. And after they do the research and they think that they have a chemical that will end up being a really valuable drug, then they have to go through all of the different stages of clinical trials to make sure that it actually works, that it's not going to harm people, and then the marketing that goes along with it. And the other thing that we're seeing is that a lot of the new drugs are targeting difficult diseases. A lot of new drugs for cancers, what they call rare diseases, where there aren't many people that have that particular disease, but these drugs can absolutely turn their life around, but they aren't cheap to develop, they aren't cheap to produce. And so in addition to the PBMs, just the drug development piece of it and the kinds of drugs that are being developed today also account for increases in prices. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like that's one thing that people tend to forget about is that modern medicine and different initiatives come with a price. Like it's not just coming out of nowhere. So money has to be put into that time and research in order to get those developments. Exactly. Exactly. So you mentioned that PBMs have kind of been in the spotlight with this problem. So at what point did Congress draw their attention to PBMs as a main source of this problem? Actually, this has been going on longer than what most people think. PBMs first came about in the 1960s when either individual companies wanted to have health insurance plans for their employees that included drug benefits, or health insurers wanted to add prescription drug benefits to their policies. And at that time, what the pharmacy benefit managers did was they offered a solution for whether it was a, a company or a healthcare plan. They offered an alternative where either that health plan or company could develop their own pharmacy benefit, uh, which would include contracting with drug companies, adjudicating claims, coming up with formularies, doing all of that, or they could pay a PBM to do all of that work for them. As time went by, the PBM started to do more and more. So not only were they looking at doing the contracting for particular drugs with the manufacturers, but they also started doing the adjudication of claims. They also started coming up with formularies that these companies could use, which would tell them which drugs they would have available for their beneficiaries to use. And over the years, it's now to the point where you have three major PBMs, McKesson, Optum, and CVS, that control about 80 to 90% of the PBM market now. The other thing that they've added through the years is they have their own mail order pharmacies as well. So they've grown a lot from what they originally did to where they are today. It's interesting how impactful they have been for so long. And I feel like a lot of people don't know what a PBM is or what they're doing. So it's interesting that they've been a part of the pharmaceutical world for so long and the general population doesn't even really know what they're doing. Right. And I think that, you know, you had asked about kind of why Congress is involved with yeah. with this now. I, I think that, you know, there have been different stages where sometimes it's been the pharmaceutical manufacturers that are kind of in the spotlight. And right now it's the PBMs. And if I would say one word about why PBMs, I would say transparency. That's what appears to be lacking in the PBM world. And we can get more into that if you'd like um, as, as we go through. But a lot of it has to do with pricing. A lot of it has to do with money and where that money is going or who's making the money in the process. And is it helping the beneficiaries? Is it helping the individual patient at the end of the day? And that's why Congress is concerned right now. So essentially, Congress is just looking for more transparency, right? I think if you had to sum it up in one word, transparency would be it. 
I mean, there are certain aspects of PBM operations that they're looking at. One of those being the contracting that the PBMs enter into with particular drug companies. So what the PBM does is they're trying to get the best price possible for the insurance plan or the employer, whoever has hired them to manage the drug benefit for them. And so there's not a lot of transparency with a lot of these contracts that they have with the drug companies. And so I think that what Congress would like to see is if I, if, you know, it's Kennedy's drug company and I enter into a contract as the PBM with you and we agree that you're going to sell me your product for $200. Mm-hmm. What they want to make sure is that I'm not going back and telling the health plan that, yeah, we agreed on a price and so health plan, it's going to cost you $250. So the health plan pays me as the PBM 250. I pay, you know, Kennedy's drug company $200 that we agreed on and I keep the other $50. Right. So that's one of the concerns that they have as far as the transparency. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know that's something we talked about earlier in the episode is like them making a profit and where exactly that profit is coming from and if it's in the best interest of the patient and it sounds like that might not necessarily be the case and that's why congress seems to be diving into a little bit more yeah and i think that at the end of the day it's always about how how is this helping the patient or is it harming the patient right one of the other things that a lot of pbms do is they will offer a formulary and say these are the drugs that will be on your formulary They also do what is known as prior authorizations or step therapy. So, for instance, if there are 10 blood pressure medicines out there and they range in price from a dollar to a hundred dollars and they work pretty close, you know, each one's pretty close to the other one as far as efficacy, then you certainly wouldn't want every doctor writing for the $100 product if the $1 product would work just as well. Right. So a lot of times what the PBM formularies will do is they'll say, okay, you have to start with the $1 product. If that doesn't work or the patient fails it, then you can, you know, maybe go to the $100 product. But it's, it's a cost-saving measure And it's one of those issues where a lot of times it's hard for patients to understand, why can't I just get the drug that my physician prescribed? But there's a reason for it as well. Like I I just mentioned that everybody doesn't need the $100 drug when a dollar drug will do. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm sure that it causes some frustration in patients, like you said, because the doctor prescribed that $100 drug, but... In the end, it's going to save a lot of money and be beneficial if people can, you know, use that $1 drug, especially because then it increases the supply of the people that are going to need that $100 drug so they have more access to it if the people that don't need it aren't using it. Right, right. So all that being said, we've obviously talked about how PBMs are taking kind of the heat from 
a lot of this and then you said that a lot of money and this increase in prices has gone into like research and modernizing medication are there any other explanations for this increase in prescription drugs that aren't really being talked about well i think there's another aspect with the manufacturers and the pbms because as i said the pbms are trying to get the best price that they can from the manufacturers and what the manufacturers are saying is that because you know we've cut our prices so much with the pbms it's causing us to raise prices uh, you know kind of across the board you know to make up for what we're losing to the pbms mm -hmm. so I, I do think that that's part of it but i think that you know certainly the research piece of it the development piece for the new drugs and the and once again going back to the kinds of drugs that these are I think that all plays into it. And even some of the new drugs now, there are diagnostics that go along with them. You know, genomic testing that has to be done before a patient could be prescribed a particular drug. Those kinds of things cost a lot of money. And even though, you know, if it is appropriate for that patient to get that drug, the fact that you have to do genomic testing and things like that. That all adds to the cost. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think there's a lot that goes into it that people aren't really considering. And so we kind of just like to place blame on whatever we can. So with all these factors going into the rise of drug prices, what, if anything, can employers do to help alleviate this issue? They have, I think, really two choices. Either they try to do it themselves and come up with kind of a homegrown solution to be their own PBM. Or I think one of the things that you'll start seeing more of are some smaller PBMs that start working with these companies or these health plans. As I said, you know, you've got the three major PBMs that control 80 to 90% of the market now. But we're also seeing that there are some smaller PBMs that are really being much more transparent in their pricing strategies in how they're making their money, what they're doing, more so than what the big, big three are. I think it will take a while, but I think that you will start seeing a shift to maybe some smaller companies that are willing to be more transparent so that employees or insurers know exactly where the money's going. Yeah, I think that'll help a lot and it kind of will get rid of some of this almost like monopoly that's happening in PBMs. Yeah, I think it's definitely easier when there is a monopoly like you're talking about for those big businesses to not have to share as much. So if smaller companies are being just as successful and being more transparent, I think that'll be helpful. So how difficult is it going to be to regulate PBMs and what reforms have been proposed in order to do so? So that's, that's really a very good question <laughs> because it gets into all kinds of laws that, um, it, you know, kind of govern how this industry works. Um, I, as I said before, I think the biggest thing is transparency, mm -hmm. but in order to have transparency, you know, the PBMs have made contracts with drug manufacturers and 
you know, that guy, and and also with retail pharmacies that beneficiaries go to. Well, so that's kind of governed by contract law too. And, you know, who has a right to see what those contracts look like? You know, certainly the oversight committee would like to be able to see all of them and know, okay, is there, you know, something going on here where, as we talked about before, the PBM's paying one price, but they're charging the insurer a different price. So I'm sure that they would like to see all of those contracts. But like I said, a lot of contract law comes into play with this and exactly what you can see, what you can't see will come into play. So I'm not sure it's one of those things you could just snap your fingers and immediately see results. I think that any kind of movement to try to make things more transparent as far as coming from the government will get tied up in court Mm -hmm. for uh, quite a while. Yeah, I think that goes to say with just about anything that has to go through government, it's going to take quite some time before we can see vast improvements. But the fact that we're addressing it now, I think, is a good step in the right direction so that people know what the problem is or what a problem is in order to kind of get that transparency that you're talking about. Yeah, and I think that it's also important that, you know, it's always easy if you hear that, you know, a certain company made however many millions or, you know, billion dollars that, oh my gosh, they must be evil. Um, (laughs) You know, that's kind of the first thought that we think of. And yet there's always more to the story than, you know, kind of what initially appears with this. You know, the fact that, that a company makes money, I mean, let's face it, healthcare is a business. And I don't know too many businesses that exist to lose money. So I think when people hear these big numbers of profits and things like that, you kind of have to step back for a minute and say, okay, what's the rest of the story here? Right. So it seems like a bit of a sticky situation to try to figure out all that contract law and figure out the right solution. But are there any reforms or solutions that you haven't seen that you think might be beneficial? I think, as I mentioned before, I think bringing some smaller players or more players into the marketplace that can be more competitive, more transparent, um, I think, you know, having competition always helps. Right. It helps people watch what they're doing. It makes sure that they're not overcharging when you know, other alternatives are out there. So I think that, um, you know, probably other than a full scale, you know, government health insurance or government health plan, Mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of the European countries have or Canada has, other than bringing more, and I'll use the term better, it's probably not the right term, but bringing more players that are willing to be more transparent into the marketplace I think that could go a long way. I agree. And I also think bringing more awareness to it so that the general population knows that we should be expecting more transparency and like asking for more transparency could definitely be helpful. Right. Absolutely. All right. We have one more question for you. So we have a segment on our podcast called Factor Cap. It's like a Gen Z spin on true or false. 
So I'll read a statement to you, and if you agree with it, you'll say fact, or if you disagree with it, you'll say cap, and then you can kind of just go into a little bit of an explanation as to why you agree or disagree. So our statement is, there is not enough evidence to hold PBMs accountable for the increase in prescription drug costs. Fact or cap? Can I say fat cap? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're talking about holding PBMs solely accountable for the increase in drug prices, then I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think there's enough evidence right. right now to say that they're solely responsible. Do I think that they have a play in it? I think so, but I'm not sure we have all the facts yet to know exactly how large of a role they are playing. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you for breaking this topic down for us. It's definitely outside of Haley and I's scope of what we normally talk about, but it was super helpful to hear from such a different perspective. And I feel like you were really able to give us all the angles being a pharmacist in your past and also being an attorney. I really feel like we got a holistic approach of what this issue is and how maybe it could be solved in the future. Well, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Of course. Thank you so much. Now for everybody's favorite part of our episodes, but unfortunately, Haley and I are not here to report that sport has been a good boy this week. (laughs) We are not. So Haley will explain a little bit in our pup date today. Yeah, so today's pup date is very episode specific, and you might be (laughs) asking yourselves, what does sport gray have to do with pharmacy benefit managers? (laughs) But... The clip of Kennedy and I that you recently heard was actually take two because we finished recording and Sport decided to step on our power strip and shut off all of our equipment. So he is currently in timeout. He has to hold it down (laughs) now when he is in the studio because we had to re-record our entire episode for you guys. Yes, he's unfortunately no longer has free reign and so... But what can we say? We just had another take, so... Yeah, it all worked out all right, but um, he's definitely lost some privileges in the podcast studio. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, there's not really much to say about sport, but thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it and were able to learn a little bit about PBMs. If you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review, rate the podcast, give us all that feedback. And check us out on social media. Our handles on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are ONU underscore ICAP with two Ps. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening.